Matthew, I'm going to describe a clinical scenario to you, and I want you to let me know if this is common or uncommon in your shop, okay? A woman of childbearing age presents to triage with belly pain, vaginal bleeding, or maybe some pelvic pain. They order a urine pregnancy test. They put her back out in the waiting room. Later on, the urine pregnancy test comes back negative. She gets put in your pod. You're going in to see her. You take a look at the results before going in to see her. You see that uh, she's had this negative UPT. How confident are you that she's not actually pregnant? How confident are you that she's not having some type of pregnancy-related pathology? At this point, are you jumping off of your non-pregnant abdominal pain algorithm? Are you looking primarily above the pelvis for your diagnosis? What if this patient tells you that she had a positive urine pregnancy test at home? Does this change your management at all? Does this modify your workup? I don't know. I mean, the first scenario, which is uh, no history of pregnancy, has pelvic symptoms or potentially pelvic symptoms, and has a negative urine pregnancy test, I feel like there are so many things in the department that I have to think about that I put urine pregnancy test in the uh, kind of don't think about category from a test performance standpoint. So if it's negative, it's negative. I move forward. I'm not thinking pregnancy. If it's positive, obviously I'm going in a different direction. That's what I've done really my whole career. That second little wrinkle though of, hey, I had a positive pregnancy test at home. Now I have a negative urine pregnancy test I don't encounter that a lot. That, to me, would put up a little bit of a red flag of, hey, what actually is going on here? Sure. Let's talk about certainty and uncertainty. And, you know, I think it's fair to say that in the emergency department, we're pretty used to dealing with uncertainty. You know, as emergency clinicians, we become pretty comfortable with this, and we approach every shift knowing that we're going to take care of patients who really can't provide a history or had surgery at another hospital, and you can't get those records, yada, yada, yada. I don't know, I've had plenty of patients over the years who just plainly just don't tell me the truth. And uh, a lot of the times ER patients don't have a great track record with reliability. The point being is that we develop a certain comfort with not knowing things and making decisions, pretty big decisions on somewhat limited or shaky information. But until I read this paper by Kleinschmidt and colleagues published in the April edition of JSEP Open, I assume that urine pregnancy tests were pretty dang reliable and really didn't contribute in a significant way to kind of the daily uncertainty that we experience on a clinical shift. Kind of turns out we might not be able to hang our hat on negative urine pregnancy tests for certain female patients. And there are certain presentations that are concerning for topics and other early pregnancy-related complications. We should, we should really be aware of the limitations of uh, urine pregnancy tests. Yes, yeah, so the paper by Kleinschmidt et al. that we will link in the capsule summary, this is essentially a retrospective look at over 11,000 patient visits in an emergency department. And they found that urine pregnancy had an overall false negative of about 1.6%. Now, I don't love that number. What's interesting is if you looked at the subset of patients that the author said had, quote, high-risk complaints, and that was things like pain, cramping, pelvic pain and cramping, and vaginal bleeding, In that subset of patients, the false negative rate was 3.6%. Even more troubling was the authors reported there were 12 ectopic pregnancies in patients who had a negative urine pregnancy test, and 83% of the ectopics were in that high-risk group. They also found that 75% of all abnormal pregnancies were in this high-risk group. So decently well-done study. It's retrospective, but I don't love the fact that they're reporting a false negative rate of 1.6 to 3.6% because the scenarios that they found 12 times, 
this ectopic pregnancy with a negative urine pregnancy test is potentially life-threatening and for us is, is, is terrifying. It's really terrifying. I mean, that was the thing that struck me about this study is that they really constructed it in an interesting way where they separated patients between kind of all comers versus these high risk complaints. And the high risk complaints definitely had a, a much higher rate of false negative uh, urine pregnancy tests, which I agree, it was a little bit terrifying. So Delaney, really, how good are urine pregnancy tests? I mean, are some of them good, some of them bad? Um, can you kind of walk us through a couple of scenarios where we kind of have to have our antennas up for the possibility of a false negative urine pregnancy test? Man, look, this, this ruins my day. I mean, I'm about to go into shift. You're about to go into shift. I, I want one less thing to worry about, but the, the reality seems to be, based on the evidence we have, that urine pregnancy testing is a good test, but I wouldn't say it's great. I would say it's certainly not perfect. And I'll walk you through why I think it's just good. So at the very basic level, there are really two reasons why a patient could have a falsely negative urine pregnancy test. The, the first and really the most likely scenario is a case of really early pregnancy where, the, sure, the patient could be pregnant, but they're not producing enough HCG to trigger the positive test. Now, the reported threshold is somewhere between 15 to 100 MIUs per milliliter. And we've all seen this. A patient comes in, they have a negative urine pregnancy test, but they say something like, I only show up pregnant on a blood test, and we get a serum HCG because they're insisting on it, and it comes back at something like 10 which actually makes me think that they probably conceived this child in her waiting room. And so this situation, I don't lose a lot of sleep over the patient who is just so early on in pregnancy that they haven't triggered the positive test threshold yet. So clinically, we may miss this. It may truly be a false negative. But if we look at the data we have in terms of the risk that these patients face, say it's really early on and say it is an ectopic pregnancy, the chance that these patients are going to go on and have an ominous complication from an ectopic is actually pretty low. Now, they may have symptoms, they may bounce back, but I don't think a lot of these patients that we miss because they just conceived the child on the way to the hospital, I don't think we have to worry about morbidity and mortality in the vast majority of these. Sure. And that makes total physiological sense that a woman is just so early on in pregnancy that she simply just doesn't trigger a positive test. But then there's this other subset of patients who are kind of further on in pregnancy and they can actually kind of quote unquote look pregnant or be aware that they're pregnant and they can also somewhat consistently produce a negative urine pregnancy test, right? Can you walk us through that? Yeah, this is the one that's, I think, pro problematic and very worrisome. So that's the more concerning scenario, right? They're further along. And they will get a false negative in a certain percentage of cases. And this is described as the hook effect. And this gets a little nerdy. But so this is this hook effect is describing a situation where in the presence of elevated or excessive levels of HCG, basically the, the urine pregnancy test gets overwhelmed and results in a false negative. Now, again, the hook effect is actually pretty complicated. But the way to think of it is this is a graph, and you have the concentration of HCG on the horizontal axis and the signal of a positive pregnancy on the vertical axis. And so what you'll see if you graph this out, and we can put this in the show notes, is that initially as the hormone concentration increases, you'll see increasing signal. The line will go up and we'll have a positive test. But at a certain point, when you get too much HCG, the signal will plateau, which would still trigger as a positive pregnancy test. 
But in some of these cases, as the HCG continues to climb, whether that's because the pregnancy is further along or because there's excess HCG from something like gestational trophoblastic disease, what you actually see, this hook effect, is the line on the graph will hook back down. So you're having increasing HCG, yet your positive signal hooks back down. Now, it, it, it took me a while kind of staring at this graph and really looking at how these tests work to understand this hook effect. And the way to think about it is that a urine pregnancy test is categorized as a sandwich assay. Essentially, it's a piece of bread with antibodies on it. Mm, now those, yeah, it's, it sounds pretty tasty, but it's not. So those antibodies will bind to an antigen, which in this case is HCG. That forms a sandwich. When the antibodies and antigens come together, that triggers the test to be positive. With the hook effect, the HCG will saturate the antibody to the point that it kind of prevents the sandwich from forming, so you get the false negative test. Now, the extra wrinkle here is that this is a known problem with urine pregnancy testing. And historically, we've thought you needed really excessively high levels of HCG, like greater than a million, to cause this hook effect. But the more it's been studied, the more we see that this hook effect actually can and does happen at much lower levels. My understanding is that, I, so the hook effect is completely terrifying to me. And when I first started reading about it, I thought like, oh, we're still on the hook, you know, from a legal, from a legal standpoint, if the patient's actually pregnant, but they produce a negative uh, urine pregnancy test. But the hook effect is totally terrifying to me. My understanding is that it's kind of most common around eight weeks of gestation or so. Um, and that's more terrifying because that's around the time that things like ectopics can cause a lot of badness and rupture and that type of thing. It's not hard to envision working a shift and a woman comes in with lower belly pain, has a negative urine pregnancy test, and you start looking for appendicitis. It seems obvious talking about it, but you might not catch that ectopic unless you order a serum HCG in this patient. All right, so the potential is there for the test to give us a false negative, but how often are we actually seeing this in clinical practice? Is this something we should be losing sleep over? Is this something you lose sleep over, Delaney? I'll be honest, I've started worrying about this more. It's, it's a little hard to dial up the correct level of concern because when we look clinically, there's a pretty wide range of reported false negatives. So there was a study looking at almost 12,000 urine pregnancy tests done in an emergency department by Griffey et al. Well, it's in the capsule summary. And they reported the false negative UPT rate of 0.34%. But the vast majority of those patients had reported having a previously positive pregnancy test. In this patient population, once you took out the cases of early pregnancy where the serum HCG was less than their 25 MIUs per milliliter threshold to turn the test positive, and that's that first scenario we talked about. You just, you just aren't that pregnant. When you took those folks out, the actual false negative rate you were left with was 0.19%. So that number is not zero, but that's a low enough number that I'm a little less concerned. But then there are other weird things that are out there in the literature. So there's a research abstract published in 2015 by Wu et al. that reported a false negative rate of 11% in ED patients. That included 11 cases of new ectopic pregnancy. Now, that 11% is higher than we've seen previously, but it, that doesn't give us a full depiction of the limitations with urine pregnancy. Now, in this study, out of all of the thousands of patients they looked at, only 9% of patients had both urine and serum testing performed. So they started with 12,000 patient encounters. 
and a false negative UPT was detected in only 137, or 1% of the cases. So you can look at the numbers, they report 11%, but really it could be around 1%. And then now we've got this paper by Kleinschmidt et al. that says yeah, the false negative rate for all comers out of 11,000 ED visits is about 1.6%. So Delaney, I think one of the most compelling things about this Kleinschmidt study is the fact that the patients with these quote-unquote high-risk complaints were basically over two times more likely to have a false negative UPT. At, I mean, it was almost 4% in this, in this patient group. Additionally, almost all the ectopics seen in this study, 10 out of the 12, so eight, over 80%, um, almost all of those patients uh, were in the uh, high-risk chief complaint group. We can reassure ourselves until the sun goes down that all you have to do is order a, a serum HCG for these patients. But just given the sheer volume of belly pain, pelvic pain, vaginal bleeding that we see in fairly young women, or at least women of childbearing age, this study really suggests that there's a potential to miss bad diagnoses such as ectopics if we're not really thinking about each of these cases individually and almost kind of cognitively running through whether or not we should be ordering serum pregnancy tests on these folks. Matthew, how do you put all this together at the bedside? I mean, on one hand, it seems like we've been using UPTs for a long time and the world hasn't like imploded yet. But on the other hand, I really don't want to send home an ectopic. Yeah, I'll be honest. I, I struggle with how do we apply these numbers at the bedside. I look at these studies and they're all retrospective, but most of them are decently well done. But we have to balance this with the reality that the vast majority of people in the world use urine pregnancy tests at home to determine whether they're pregnant or not. The, the, the pharmacy is full of urine pregnancy tests. So for the millions of women every year who rely on these tests, I don't think we're seeing tons of deaths from ectopics because their home pregnancy test was falsely negative. And I think for me, that's the tension here. How do we balance the evidence we get from these studies with the real world experience, which really does seem to tell us that urine pregnancy tests in the hands of the general population actually give them a, a, a correct and safe answer for the vast majority of times at their own house. Sure. So what's the role for urine pregnancy tests in the emergency department? I mean, they're safe to be used at home. I think we've kind of established that historically. But, you know, in most shops, it's pretty common to grab a urine from a young woman coming in with belly pain. Um, <clears throat> and we kind of have, have through the Kleinschmidt study, we've, we've come to realize that it's a little bit of an imperfect test. So how do you think we should be kind of best utilizing urine pregnancy tests in the ED? They obviously have a role. Um, they seem to be faster than serum HCGs. Prior studies have suggested this. Um, how do you, what, what do you think the role is for urine pregnancy tests in American emergency departments? Yeah, I think about this both in terms of logistics and also when it comes to patient outcomes. Now, logistically, I love the idea of a point-of-care urine pregnancy test. It's cheap, it's accessible, and like you said, there are some studies that show this association between urine pregnancy testing and decreased length of stay compared to patients who waited for serum HCG. Now, I think those studies have a total lack of face validity because I spend most of my career waiting for a patient to give us urine. Uh, they just cannot urinate as soon as they come through the doors of the ED. So I'm in real-world situations, I'm not sold that waiting for a patient to pee is any faster or logistically easier than doing a quick straight stick at triage and sending off for that serum HCG. So logistically, it's probably a wash for me. Now, the big change for me 
is that I really am going to move away from relying solely on urine pregnancy testing in any situation where I look at the patient and think, man, I would really like to know if you're pregnant. Again, that Klein-Schmidt study, remember the false negative rate was higher, almost 4% in patients who were in that broad category of having, quote, high-risk complaints. And that's the situation that we see all the time. You have abdominal pain. You have vaginal bleeding. I am paid to be here to make sure I find that ectopic before you go home and bleed to death. And so, and so I would say in a patient who potentially has an ectopic pregnancy, a 4% miss rate isn't acceptable at all. And, and again, these reported miss rates may be higher than what we're actually seeing worldwide, but I think when taken as a whole, the evidence seems convincing that if we need to know, are you pregnant for the sake of patient safety, serum testing is going to give us a much more reliable answer. I agree. <clears throat> Overall, this study has lowered my threshold for ordering serum HEGs. And generally speaking, if an ectopic is anywhere on my differential, I'm going to order a serum HCG, even if the urine's negative. If I don't have a urine pregnancy test sent yet, I'll order kind of both at the same time, knowing that no matter what, I'm going to need to see a, a serum result. If the urine is negative, I want to prove that with the serum. If this urine is positive, I want to know what the quant level is anyways. You know, I've reviewed cases where a young woman presents with, you know, mild pelvic pain, gets diagnosed with a UTI based on a pretty weak urinalysis. They have a negative UPT only to bounce back with an ectopic, ruptured or otherwise. In a busy ED, you can see how this could happen, especially if a clinician is trying to avoid getting blood work just to save time, basically to try to get that UTI out of the ED as soon as possible. I don't think we need to hit any panic alarms per se. I mean, this Kleinschmidt study says one in about every 28 women may have a false negative UPT. But the study also suggests that it may be prudent to pump the brakes and get some blood work on a young woman, even with mild pelvic pain, if you're worried about an ectopic. Just given the sheer volume of women of childbearing age we see in the ED with these quote-unquote high-risk complaints over the course of our career. Uh, so Delaney, how are you kind of approaching these folks on shift? You know, like with a lot of things we see, I think this is really all about risk stratification. So in an asymptomatic patient who's just trying to get pregnant and they want to know if they're pregnant, they have no other complaints, I think, sure, a negative urine pregnancy test might be sufficient. Now, I think common sense plays a big role here, and it's important to remember that most of these studies only identified the false negative because the patient specifically said, hey, look, I had a positive pregnancy test previously. So I would say broadly, if the patient reports that they've had a previous positive pregnancy test or they have symptoms that make me think about potential ectopic or other bad complications, then I think their pretest probability of being pregnant is high enough that those, that's the patient where I would use a serum HCG testing and not even order and certainly not rely on a urine pregnancy test. Sure. So we should be all good with serum HCGs then, right? That's like a perfect test. That's going to tell us definitively if a patient's pregnant or not, correct? Yeah, I'll just go ahead and fully ruin your day. There are, in fact, <sighs> case reports of patients who had a negative urine pregnancy test who then had undetectable serum HCG levels who subsequently were diagnosed with a ruptured ectopic pregnancy. Now, the good news is this is limited to case reports. And in all of the case reports, something about the story was really weird. So in one case, the patient had a recent episode that she thought was a spontaneous miscarriage, then subsequently had a ruptured ectopic that they categorized as a chronic ectopic pregnancy, which I didn't even know was a thing the body could do. 
and the patient presented their tachycardic, they had peritonitis, and the diagnosis was made because they looked at the patient and said, something bad must be going in your abdomen, and then they found some hemoperitoneum. So th these are scary cases. These are rare cases, and I couldn't find a single case where the patient was well-appearing, didn't have an unusual OB history, was discharged with a negative serum HCG, and then went on to have a bad outcome. Now, certainly they could be out there, but these cases are so rare that if I've got an undetectable serum HCG, that's as good as it gets for me. You're just not pregnant, and I'm going to not worry that I'm sending you home to die from an ectopic. Okay. Well, I'm kind of bummed out still. Like, I'm still a little bit terrified by the false negative uh, uh, serum HCGs, but thanks for bumming out everybody else who listening to the podcast towards the end of the episode, man. Really, we, I mean, the reality is we shouldn't be freaked out here, right? We just need to keep our antennas up on, uh, in situations, especially where women say, hey, I had a positive urine pregnancy test at home, or where the clinical scenario is really suggestive of an ectopic. I think that one of the kind of take-home points is here, if ectopic is on your differential, you probably ought to get a serum HCG. What's your bottom line, Delaney? Yeah, I think for me, the bottom line is that, unfortunately, urine pregnancy testing just isn't as reliable as we thought. Now, I think if we're just trying to say, hey, is this asymptomatic person pregnant? It's probably good enough. If we're saying, hey, x-ray won't do an x-ray without a negative pregnancy test. Sure, one x-ray is not going to hurt any type of fetus. But for a lot of these situations, the female with abdominal pain, where we have to think about ectopic, I don't think urine pregnancy test is reliable enough. And I'm going to shift for the vast majority of those patients to getting a serum HCG as my first test of choice. Gotcha. I think I, I uh, came away with the same conclusions. Awesome. Well, I am off to change all my order sets to get rid of UPTs and add serum HCGs. Uh, I imagine you're doing similarly. But if you're listening and you've had a case where you've almost missed an ectopic because of this, let us know. If you've got a better way to do this so we don't have to totally get rid of urine pregnancy testing, let us know. But Dr. Wood, it's a pleasure as always, and we will be back next month. That was great. Thanks so much, Delaney.